The Quest community, welcome to this special series that we're doing with the leaders of the RIA aggregator and integrators. So these are the firms in the registered investment advisory industry that are doing what is now 91% of the deals, which are mainly these, uh, these private equity funded, larger RIAs that are looking to buy up and are buying up and doing many, many deals in the space. Uh, other RIA firms, whether they're independent or sometimes from IBD platforms or even you know doing some deals with wirehouse advisors. So we are fortunate enough to have some of the, the leading firms in the industry doing these deals. And we have them on in this special series so that people People who are interested in right advising the industry or potentially interested in selling their firms can understand the different models out there. Because one of the benefits of the evolution and the maturation of the RA space has been that there are more aggregators and integrators, there's more funding for these, there's more private equity. But as that happens, there also is more confusion as to all these different options out there. What are the different models? Why is one better than the other? Or what is the best fit for me? So the purpose of this series is to give the opportunity for each of these amazing firms to talk about their different models, talk about who they're looking to target, who they attract, you know, and 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 have you be in a better position as a potential seller to understand your options. And for those of you who are not in the RA space, it's also a fascinating, you know, I would listen anyway. It's a fascinating look at how the industry is involved and how an industry matures. And frankly, what the different acquisition models are that could be applied even in other industries. So check out all the videos in this special series on the RIA aggregator and integrators. Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Claire O'Keefe is a partner in the Chicago office and head of partner development at Surrey Partners. She is also a member of the Surrey Partners Executive Committee. Prior to joining Surrey, Claire served as an executive committee member and client advisor for two wealth management firms. In these roles, Claire's responsibilities included strategic planning, client development, and client advisory. Throughout her career, she has focused on her leadership on providing wealth management services to affluent individuals, business owners, executives, and nonprofit organizations. She also serves as a, a member of the Henry Viscardi School Board of Trustees, an organization which she remains very passionate about, and she's involved in other philanthropic organizations. She's also a fellow graduate of Stony Brook University, which is my undergraduate alma mater. I'm so excited to have Claire O'Keefe on the DealQuest podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Corey. Pleasure to be here. So, Claire, I really want to talk about Cerity's model and, and your involvement in it and all the great deals that you all have been doing, including a wonderful deal that we did with you for a client of ours, not specifically, but in, but generally, and all that kind of stuff. But before I go there, I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because my sense is that a leading executive at a wealth management firm might not have been it back then, but you tell me. Let's go way back in the time machine. Yeah. When I was growing up, the phrase wealth management was certainly not one that was 
familiar to me or anyone around me. I initially wanted to be a nurse. Wanted to be a nurse like my Auntie Pearl because she was the only other tall individual in my family, but I quickly determined I didn't like the sight of blood. So I settled on becoming an elementary school teacher, which is how I began my professional career. I love it. Well, listen, my mother was a nurse growing up and and I I hated going, like if I had a, like when I was a teen or whatever, we went to pick up the car keys or the house keys when I was younger and she worked in ICU and CCU and I hated, I couldn't, like, I, like how do you work in this environment? I, I gave her a lot of credit and, and more power to all the nurses and doctors and people who work in hospitals, but I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it either. All righty. So looking back at one other question, what was your first deal of any type? It could be something early in your career or when you're younger or whatever comes to mind. Yeah, so we were fortunate enough to go to Spain on vacation when I was a kid. And I used to love going to the, the markets that they had there. My dad was a master negotiator. He loved to, to haggle, whether it was the tablecloths that my mom wanted to buy 10 of to bring them home to family members or, or other things. So that was probably my first experience of negotiation as a child. Professionally, my first experience of negotiation um, the firm that I was fortunate enough to start my professional career with, Heritage Strategies in New York. We were in the, the life insurance world, part of M Financial member firm. And so we would negotiate insurance underwriting for clients and making sure that we were getting them the best possible uh, insurance policy and premium. Great. Great. Okay. So now let's start, let's start talking about charity partners. And again, we won't talk any specifics about any deal, but in my involvement in, in the deal that we closed last year, where I was representing the new partners that came, came aboard. And, and as I mentioned some folks, it was a very special deal for me because the round table team was a, was my first breakaway, Steve, was my great. first breakaway over 23 years ago. But, you know, I, I came to understand that, that charity partners has a very, you know, specific outlook and, and approach that may be a little different than some of the other um, what has been referred to as aggregators and integrators out there. So tell us a little bit about Charity's overall approach, philosophy, you know, when it's in all these, what we call deals that, you, that you're doing it, but you, got, you guys don't even like the term deals. I'm like, look at you correcting yourself already. All right. We talk about mergers, you know, and you reference our now colleagues in New Jersey who thank you. Thank you for being a part of that process with us. They're terrific. You know, we've been fortunate enough to have welcomed colleagues to charity partners from many different types of organizations, be it independent RAs, large global investment banks, accounting firms, law firms, and share that, you know, unlike others in the marketplace, charity partners, you know, we're not an aggregator, a consolidator, or a roll-up. We don't believe that we ever acquire anyone. You know, we come together with like-minded professionals. We view it as a merger because we plan to be partners and colleagues together for many years to come, leveraging our collective expertise really to benefit our clients and colleagues and ultimately together to build and grow one incredibly strong, powerful partnership. You know, the vision from day one when Kurt, our CEO, put pen to paper over 14 years ago is to build the first of its kind global professional services firm in wealth management, capable of delivering a family office experience for high and ultra high net worth clients who wish to have that experience at the same time being a leading provider in workplace wealth management solutions for executives around the world. So when we think about welcoming colleagues via merger, it's truly part of a need that we have. We are a young firm. We're 14 years into our journey. We can welcome and do welcome colleagues to our firm directly out of undergrad or graduate school. They come through our training program and hopefully one day become a partner of our firm. We welcome many colleagues as lateral hires, you know, maybe wake up eight to 10 years at the firm that they're at and say, hey, I'm, I'm not at my forever home and I'm really excited about what Certy Partners is building and there's an opportunity to become a partner. 
or we've welcomed colleagues, and I shouldn't say or, I should say and, we've welcomed colleagues via merger, groups of colleagues who share our business philosophies, our fiduciary mindset, our belief in serving clients, colleagues, and community. And so when we're considering potential new partners, it's really to make sure that we have the breadth and depth of talent and capacity within our firm to continue to serve clients and prospective clients of our firm, and particularly in key geographic markets. But you know, we, we often talk about five key areas of alignment. Culture first. It's about people. We're, we're a partnership. It's not a partnership as a word. It's a partnership in action. And so you know, when I look around a room or look on Zoom when we're having a, a partner's meeting, like I'm excited by the people that I work with. I'm challenged by the people that I work with in a, in a really good, healthy way. And I'm incredibly proud of the people that I work with because we share similar philosophies, but we all come from different walks of life. And that makes us an incredibly strong partnership. You know, from a target clientele standpoint, and we're not snobs about who we work with, but we're definitely believe that we can provide the most value to high and ultra high net worth clients. So whether it's a business owner or an executive, really active wealth creators, they don't have the time or interest to work through all of the things that need to be worked through. And so we bring a lot of value to that target clientele. So for prospective partners, who work with the same clientele, there's kind of that immediate connection. And then for a value proposition, you know, for many partners and colleagues who've joined us, the value proposition has evolved removing run the business hats, right? So they can focus on developing clients, new client referrals from our organic growth channels, professional development with our surrogate partners university. So there has to be something. I often talk about two plus two needs to equal something much greater than four in order to go through the time, effort, lift, and expense sure. in order to come together. And then business model, you know, just again, touching on the partnership, like do we share a vision for how to grow, build and operate a firm together and build a firm that's not about any one person. It's about the collective. I think about my journey, I hope to be here for a very long time to come, but when it's my time to hand it up, I, I want to be able to look back and go, I was part of building that incredible firm that will be here long after that I am here, but that, that business model and that, and that feeling of being part of the partnership is really important. And then economics, you know, do we think about or think philosophically similar and how do you share success? How do you make sure that everybody is participating, raise all ships? And so we have not just a, a compensation structure in terms of cash compensation, but we have an incentive equity program. So those are, I'll say, at the highest level when we think about coming together with colleagues. And then clearly, as you know all too well, then we need to just make sure that we are doing confirmatory due diligence on one another, making sure financially sound, operationally sound, nothing that's hiding from a risk standpoint that could potentially be detrimental in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I want to make a distinction just because I almost have to as a lawyer, but also uh, this merger mentality is really a mentality. It doesn't mean that the deal structure is legally a merger. That's, you know, I mean, it, it, uh, right. What's much more important is, is that represents a mentality of the, of the way you all approach it. And that does distinguish you. But I do, just because in this entire series, I've been talking about integrators, aggregators, and where people are on the spectrum, I do want to be able, one of the purposes of the series is to be able to have potential sellers in, in what is now a great thing to have some very good options out there where there were much fewer in the past, but also to be able to distinguish between them. So, so even though Serenity Partners doesn't really identify either as a, certainly not as a roll-up, certainly not as an aggregator, maybe more of an integrator, but you don't even use that terminology. I do want to get you placed in that. So for the others in the industry, some are more on the aggregator side, which, you know, 
has to do with people keep their own brand. They may even, some of them, even you could have your own ADV, some they, you know, or one ADV, which is more of an integrator side of things. So the question is on Serity Partners, how much is integrated in terms of tech stack, in terms of brand, in terms of decision-making, in terms of ADV, all that kind of stuff, just so people can place it, even though that's not the framework that you guys use. I want to give them a little ability to have a little bit of an apples and apples, you know, uh, comparison, and then we'll focus much more on the differentiation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for for us, we are one firm. So being one firm is incredibly important to us. We've had a national footprint since day one. And so when colleagues come to join us via merger, there are many things that we need to do to integrate. We don't ever force integration. We don't ever accelerate things that would, you know, inadvertently or advertently, you know, hinder both client and or colleague integration. You know, share, you know, one brand. We unite under Sarity Partners as one brand because we're one partnership. We certainly unite in terms of colleagues, all colleagues in terms of payroll and benefits. You know, it's equal across the firm. Our incentive equity program, very much the same thing. From a technology systems standpoint, we do integrate to one technology stack. We believe that, you know, we have Source the best in class tools. We have a phenomenal technology team. And quite frankly, it just means that as a firm and as a partnership, we're able to gather data, coordinate, and make sure that we're delivering a consistent client and colleague experience. That said, there's a transition. So, you know, talk about measuring twice, cut once. We probably measure eight times, cut once. Yeah, there's a lot of information. We've come together with colleagues that have had firms as old as 50 years, right, in the independent RA. So that's a lot of data. And so we want to make sure that we glide path to that. So our our people, our colleague assimilation, that is day one. And there's a, a, a definitely a concerted effort, particularly in the first 12 months, to make sure that all colleagues are feeling that they have, you know, are fully integrated into our internal, uh, I'll say, practice calls, bless you, <laughs> in, ter in terms of making sure that partners are on our partners call, attending partners offsites and so forth. The technology integration, you know, can take six months plus as we start to make sure that we're mapping all of the data and user requirements and also leveraging. You know, one of the incredible benefits that we've had coming together with colleagues is we've gotten better each and every time we've merged with a group of colleagues. And sometimes it's an enhanced service offering. Sometimes it's been an enhanced technology workflow. And so we want to make sure that whatever a group of colleagues has been doing incredibly successfully, that we're being additive to that. And to the extent there's something that they have been doing that we have not, then let's build that out for the benefit of all colleagues. Yeah. So it's interesting. So clearly, like, you know, on that artificial spectrum, certainly is way more on what we call the integrator side than the aggregator side. But let's talk about this aspect because... A lot of the other firms out there in terms of their growth strategy, in terms of their, you know, exit strategy, in terms of their funding strategy, those particular things that, you know, we want to do. Heard people on this series, the special series we're doing here that this is a part of, who've talked about the intention to IPO, right? You know, others have had various capital partners and know that they're going to continue to raise outside, outside capital. Some have talked about just generally when they're looking at the industry as a whole, they think they'll be a consolidator of the quote unquote consolidators, right? What is Cerity's partners view and approach for you guys in terms of that conversation of the future exit, that kind of stuff? So partners who are coming to join us or frankly considering, hey, I want to learn more about Cerity partners. I would say somebody who says, oh, I'd like to go 
try it out for a few years, we're not the right fit. You know, this is a firm that you come to join to say, I'm going to retire here. And so whether you are the 25-year-old individual join us or the 55-year-old individual, or we've been, we're incredibly fortunate to have partners in their 70s, it should be, I am I'm coming to join this firm as part of my forever home. And so that same mentality in terms of the firm that we're building we want to celebrate a 100th anniversary. Like We want to be a global, first-of-its-kind professional services firm. We're only 14 years into that journey, so there's a, a lot to do. And so from a, an exit standpoint, you know, we've embraced outside capital since day one of our firm's inception, right, as a means of accelerating the vision. And so in 14 short years, we've grown from startup to one of the largest independent RAAs in the U.S. It's been incredibly exciting. You know, from a, a future standpoint, you know, financial capital has been relatively easy to come by, you know, for many of your listeners, no doubt the same thing. You know, our our interest in our in these early days of our firm's evolution has been to partner with really well-respected capital partners who lend much strategic value in turn in addition to financial resources. So today we're incredibly fortunate to be partners with Genstar Capital and Lightyard Capital. And our vision for the future is to continue to grow and build our firm. You know, our capital partners don't modify the vision. The vision has not changed in 14 years, but they certainly land incredible strategic value with lots of exciting plans. And then I think for when the timing is right, you no know, differently than we just did last year, you know, we as the employee partners, which is the only time you'll hear me say employee partners for the purpose of distinction is you know, we'll determine kind of what that next right chapter is as we continue to grow and build. But, you know, many firms in the independent RIA space have had the first world problem of we're in an industry where our firms have a lot of value. And yep. so some of the the objectives that we hear quite a bit are we the next gen can't afford to buy, right? Can't can't afford to to take out for what a better way of saying the the first generation. And so for us, you know, we being that partnership hundred years from now is really important so that the how that how that all unfolds is yet to be determined but our our exit strategy is not one of you know building a firm for top dollar and exiting our our strategy is to continue to grow and build yeah and listen I, that definitely distinguishes y yourselves from others and listen you know one of the things i i've said repeatedly on this podcast in general and certainly in this series is that one of the great things about having a vision and mission which then translates into a, a value proposition your value proposition yeah. should come from what's really true as opposed to is that it allows people to to understand it and opt in but as importantly it allows people opt out right and that's good because you don't waste time so somebody who's looking to maybe you know join a place that is some promise of a very soon foreseeable future, big monetization, and that's the bet they want to make, they're not going to be the right fit for a firm like yours, right? Right. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about the deals that you've done over time. Roughly how many deals has already done in whatever you know period of time you want to talk about, uh, just to give people a feel for you, because you guys have been very active in the marketplace. In fact, before recording this, I have to I think you guys announced in the last few days another big uh, merger. Was it on the West Coast? I'm trying to remember. But in any case, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, how many deals have you have you all been doing? Yeah, we don't we don't ever count, quantify, or Margin. I'll say budget for coming together via merger. I'll share with you today. We stand here as a firm with over eight hundred colleagues, about one hundred and eighty of whom are partners of our firm. We have mm -hmm. the privilege of serving about fifteen thousand clients across the country, about twenty different markets, managing, notwithstanding the markets on any given day, you know, give or take sixty five billion dollars of assets. And so, you know, our of our partnership today in terms of colleagues, 
probably half of our partnership has come, joined our firm over over the years via merger, just to kind of give you some sense of magnitude. But I, I often chuckle when I get asked the question, as you know, not using deals, but mergers. And, and I'm, I'm always curious as to the interest in it, because, you know, you there are independent REAs that have, you know, three, four, five, 10 individuals or independent RAs that have 200 plus. So the the number is somewhat inconsequential. I think it's really, at least from our philosophy and, and approach, it's it's the people and making sure that we're coming together with terrific people. And you just referenced, yes, we, you know, we are fortunate enough to be introduced to prospective partners via our friends in the investment banking community who are are terrific. We certainly do active outreach ourselves in terms of markets where, you know, we have a lot of organic growth opportunity. But what has been really exciting, velocity was the word that we used for 2022. The word for 2023, TBD right now. But we've had a halo effect. You know, when you see the caliber of individuals that we've been fortunate enough to merge with, you know, people are like, wow, they joined you. They had a 35-year-old firm. They're incredibly well-respected in the industry. If nothing else, I want to learn more. And so I, I, I offer that even as part of this podcast. I, I love making friends in the industry. I love people. It is People are my passion. And so you just, you learn a lot by connecting and sometimes it's planting seeds. So colleagues that we just recently came together with, you know, in the last 12, 18 months, Many of them we met three, four, five years ago, just having a conversation and getting to know one another. And that's a, a really a really big part of making sure there's a cultural fit, spending time together. Yeah. Yeah. And, and listen, that definitely is another way that you all distinguish yourselves. Let's talk, you know, you mentioned this conversation of, um, you know, next generation. Let's talk about G2 a little bit, because obviously it's, I'm going to say it's not uncommon. It's actually, you know, common that the good firms actually often have different generations. I mean, in fact, you know, a lot of the industries have, have actually struggled with that, but the but the better firms that, you know, do have a, a G2, maybe a G3. And sometimes a potential deal, as others call it, or merger, you know, in your case, would raise differing concerns, right? And or opportunities for uh, that affect different people at different stages of their career differently. And for some folks, I mean, one thing is already off the table. For some folks, you know, I, I've had situations where the senior person sees a great opportunity to to, to monetize and the G, G2 and G3, you know, it's a tougher decision, right? Because they're early in the career, they have more runway, especially in in, in deals where you're taking equity and you're buyer. And well, I want to get to your model and talk about that. But, you know, the, the question is, okay, well, maybe, can I grow because I'm early in my career? And can I grow quicker on my own? Am I you know, am I better off betting on myself versus, you know, a, a bigger firm's equity, that kind of stuff. Certainly because you you all have a much longer term approach and runway, it takes out the one concern that some G2 have in, in that, well, I'm going to make this move and then the firm's going to be sold or, you know, merged or IPO'd, you know, like, like where's my long-term home? So that's off the table. But talk to us a little bit about your approach with, with different generations and and, you know, what the model may be that's appealing to, to to those folks and how you deal with those, I don't want to call them tensions, but sometimes they are, but at least differences in in priorities or in, in what folks are looking for between maybe the founders and, and G2 and G3. Absolutely. I mean, a huge part of coming together via merger is G2 in addition to G1. So in our experience... Many times, and particularly, I have such respect, and we have such respect for the pioneers in the independent wealth management space, right, who led the charge in terms of building firms. And oftentimes, they've been the rainmaker and continue to be the rainmaker. And G2, in some instances, 
have been terrifically talented colleagues who are more of the technician orientation, true client advisor, don't necessarily love business development, but love clients and love sharpening their saw in terms of what they're doing from an expertise standpoint. It's really important to us when we are in conversations with G1, which often is the case if G1 has the majority of equity ownership, at, le- at least at the onset of, a, of an introduction. It's really important that we hear them speak about G2, that there's a concern for G2, there's consideration for G2. And I'll share with you, without exception, every group of colleagues that has merged with us, it's been around clients. The, the need for clients wanting to bring enhanced services for clients and capabilities. And it's been about their colleagues saying, hey, we're a firm of 20 people. You know, there's a concern for the ability to grow. There's a concern for, will, this, will the talented G2 leave because there's not enough professional opportunity or there isn't a fear and easy path to give them ownership. And so, you know, we've solved for many of those challenges. We've we've solved for it from the sense of our incentive equity program. So in addition to partners of our firm having the opportunity to purchase equity, we have an incentive equity program where partners of our firm have an opportunity to earn equity purely through meritocracy and driving the firm forward. We have Serity Partners University, which is purely built for training and development. So certainly for, I'll say, junior colleagues who have come out of university, be it undergrad or graduate school, and really learning the, the business. But for those who are seasoned in the business, G2 often have eight plus years of experience. They're client active client advisors themselves, but they may not have had, you know, management training or soft the soft skills training, right? You can have all the intellectual training and technical know-how, but if you can't actually have a conversation one-on-one and empathetically relate to your client, you're going to have a challenge as a client advisor. So part of surrounding G2 and the attractiveness is that growth opportunity from a professional standpoint. And and I'll share last but certainly not least, it's being a part of the partnership. So whether an individual joins us as a partner day one or joins us as an associate, senior associate or principal on a path to partnership, it's really clear what you need to do to become a partner. We're an entrepreneurial firm. And there's an ability to surround yourself and work with a much broader group of colleagues. We're going to challenge you. You know, we often talk and more specifically, Kurt, our CEO, talks about his partners and our partners as, you know, highly educated, highly experienced and credentialed and highly opinionated. We have lots of spirited debate and it's phenomenal. But you just you become better by surrounding yourself with those who are going to challenge you. And that has been something that we've seen immediately with G2 being able to lean into. And G2, no differently than G1, they've had the ability to be able to remove run the business hats and say, I want to be a client-facing advisor. I'm going to go focus on serving and developing clients and having more time to do that. Sometimes it's interesting. People don't even realize the amount of other things they've had to do in the past until they're like, oh, wait a sec. Oh, I don't have to do that. Right. When we, when unfortunately for all of us, when COVID hit, what a one of our partners reached out to me. He's like, oh, I am so happy that I'm with Serity Partners, that, you know, there's a whole team of folks that are going to have to think about all the things that have to be done and that I'd have to think about, you know, reaching out to clients and then making sure that the immediate team that reported to him were feeling safe and secure. That, that, that G2 piece of it is really important. Yeah, love that. Let's talk a little bit about the support that you have, just sticking on this topic, and then I want to really delve a little bit more into your model and structure. So one of those things about G2 is that they're often looking at growth rates and what they can do on their own versus others, right? I mean, and 
the the obvious point is the more you free people up from other responsibilities and take that away, they have more time, energy, focus, whatever, to be able to go get more business. But in addition to that, what else does Seri do? Because I know you, you all have not only grown through merger, obviously, but you've had phenomenal organic growth as well. And even though I always make this distinction on this podcast between what I call deal-driven growth and organic growth or inorganic growth and organic growth, they're not unrelated, right? And what, so one of the things that can make a firm attractive to an advisor is the ability to increase their organic growth rates and get additional support around organic growth. So you want to talk about that aspect a little bit? Yeah, it's the DNA of our firm. We are an entrepreneurial firm, very much believing that Organic growth provides economic and professional mobility for colleagues, particularly, as you pointed out, for those more junior in their career. Like many of our peers in the industry, we've all felt incredibly fortunate over the last number of years. You know, we are the wealth management industry was one that thrived in COVID, not not survived like so many other industries had to suffer through, you know, to kind of put some magnitude to that for you. You know, in each of the last three years, we've developed over a thousand new private clients organically, nothing to do with a colleague joining us individually with a client practice or a group of colleagues. And so there's a lot of energy around that. And we've experienced the colleagues who've joined us via merger have some of the fastest growing client practices in our firm for a variety of reasons. One of those we've already touched on in terms of kind of taking that time, redeploying that time that they used to spend to run the business activities to developing and serving new clients. But they also have additional services to offer to new and existing clients. So many colleagues have joined us, may have been, you know, from, I'll say, the more historical investment counseling model, to use one as an example, you know, with some financial planning, don't have tax, did not have tax planning and compliance within their firm, trust and estate planning, the ability to go into corporate America with our niche service. So there's that immediate opportunity. They immediately plug into our pillars of organic growth. And so those include... Practice management, where we leverage data, using a lot of data analytics to empower colleagues with information so that they can identify growth opportunities within their client and center of influence relationships. I, I say that not in a big brother scary way, but just in data is power. And so to be able to use that information and come up with really discerning, actionable things for colleagues to, to do and, to, and for an active outreach, very much working with our marketing team. You know, strategic partnerships with other professional services firms. As an example, we're in both Schwab and Fidelity's custodial referral programs and, and are very sincere about our partnership with Schwab and Fidelity in those programs. You know, we, we appreciate that we are reflecting not just on Serity partners, but on the financial consultants and the larger, larger organizations of Schwab and Fidelity when they refer a client to us and we take that really seriously and have had terrific success with them. And then Workplace Solutions, which is our niche offering. You know, we bring our services to corporate America where we offer uh, what a service that we call executive financial counseling to senior leaders of companies. And then last but certainly not least is our direct and digital marketing. So we continue to invest in the resources and infrastructure required to optimize all of those pillars of growth. And, you know, the benefit of being a firm where we are the firm we are the leaders of the firm is, hey, something's not working. We're going to change it. And so the ability to continue to be agile, to iterate, to experiment, and to give ourselves freedom to do that. And, and, and that freedom, quite frankly, extends throughout the firm. There is no core. I'm core of the market on great ideas. And just the other day was visiting with one of our offices and a junior colleague had a great idea. I was like, would you like to run with that? And she's like, I'd love to run with that. I'm like, all right, tag you in. Go to connect you with this partner on the leadership team, go do it. 
And just the ability to do that, to say, hey, I'm going to be part of doing something new is really exciting. Yeah, I love that. I really love that. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. All right, let's drill down on the model a little bit and, you know, the deal structure. So, you know, we've had, again, various of your you know, colleagues, leaders of other firms on, and the models range from full acquisition, you know, in your case, merger, to some of them make partial investments. There's combinations often of cash and, and equity in some of the models. There's a requirement that some equity is taken and others is optional. Talk to us a little bit, you know, drilling down on what, you know, I mean, people may have a guess as to some of those things based on what we've said already, but let's drill down on it and talk about what that model, what that deal model is for your mergers. Well, we'll help to avoid them having to guess. So, Yes, certainly for us, it's majority. If we're coming together 100%, to your point, there's different machinations of what that looks like from an actual legal structure. But it is 100%. Colleagues come to join us. We do not take minority interests in in other firms. From a structure quite standard in terms of the industry, notwithstanding, you know, if a group of colleagues has a large client concentration or there are certain risks that we need to modify a more traditional structure around, but a closing payment, which is the largest component typically of the overall merger consideration, sometimes a retention payment, and then an earn out and or earn outs, which we can be very flexible on. So you've oftentimes got individuals who are like, hey, we're going to three years from now, it's going to look like X. We're, We're really happy to kind of structure something where they have you know, maximum upside potential because we all win. In, in that upside potential. In terms of the closing consideration of cash and equity, we are very flexible on that mix of cash and equity. We certainly welcome colleagues to take equity as part of our merger. Again, it's just tied to the why behind coming to join us. We are not, you know, we're very flexible though, in terms of, as an example, if there's a group of five partners, each of them may have their own different personal time horizon, different personal financial situation. So it is flexible for each of the five. And then in aggregate, hey, what, what did that look like? But the equity component of it is really, really important that there's an element of that. And then from a, an overall valuation structure, you know, we are transparent. You know, our belief is that we're going to be partners with these soon, with these individuals for a long time. And so when we and you were part of this process in and of itself, you know, we look at putting together a fully synergized P&L from an expense standpoint. And by that, I mean, you know, if there's an expense that an individual has today that they're not going to have post-merger, use an example, they spent $80,000 for a website upgrade that's not going to be, you know, part of the ongoing business. Once we come together, we would take that out for their benefit, higher you know, less expense, higher EBITDA, and then the, the, ultimately the multiple is applied to to that EBITDA. You know, we believe in coming together, the opportunity is the growth that we're going to have collectively together going forward. Yeah, love that. So let's expand that a little bit. Let's talk about what's going on in the market generally. You know, we've had, you know, we've had a great run for, for a while. Not, not only have we had a 12 plus year, whatever is in, you know, bull market, right? Where everybody... Yep. 
you know, the joke is that everybody's brilliant in, in, in a bull market, right? Plus, you know, the evolution of the industry and so much, you know, additional capital coming in and, and you know, and, and the continuation of the, of the breakaways from the wirehouses. So there's this feeder that comes in. So, you know, a lot of great stuff. And I think, I think, I personally think those long-term trends are still all very positive. And at the same time, some, you know, short-term or short to medium-term, who knows, headwinds, right? You know, interest rates going up, cost of capital going up, inflation going up, stock market not doing as well, uh, global events. So what are you seeing in terms of impact or any impact on deal flow, deal structure, valuations, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll share, you know, despite the market downturn, the interest in our firm continues to be at an all-time high. We don't take that for granted. We're incredibly humbled by it, but definitely attribute much of the interest that we're seeing to, as I described, the magic of the partnership that we're building, as I touched on earlier, the caliber of partners and colleagues who've joined us, and the fact that we meet many of the key objectives that independent RA owners have when they're considering a sale of their business. So for example, succession, organic growth, enhanced services for clients, scaled infrastructure, the G2, you know, we have a solution for that. So even though there's a the, there's a market downturn, it doesn't change that many of those other needs continue to be there. And I had one of our partners describe to me, you know, when he first started in the independent wealth management space, you know, 90% of his time was working with clients and focused on clients and 10% was on run the business. And he's like, you know, as recently as four years ago, that flipped on its head. He's like, I, I'm not doing what I love to do all day, every day. So, you know, the... The marketplace and those needs, I think, continue to be there. And I think the reality is many of the pioneers in the wealth management space founded firms, you know, 30 plus years ago. So they're facing their own imminent retirement succession needs. And so that still continues to, to be a driver. You know, from a due to the market downturn, we've certainly seen, you know, run rate revenue, EBITDA is lower for many firms. And our philosophy is we need to create a win-win for all parties, right? So we continue. To collaborate with our prospective new partners, we align, as I just shared, kind of on a fully synergized P&L, just to give them the benefit of a, of a higher EBITDA, and then just design a proposal that affords them the opportunity to achieve the total valuation, you know, when the market kind of starts to more fully recover. But would share, you know, your same philosophy, not that any of us have a crystal ball or experts in the industry. We only know what we know in terms of what we read, see, and from my position, what I currently experience day to day. But, you know, we have a very sustainable industry that we're in. We saw that, you know, March of 2020. So have no doubt that we will come out of what we are in currently and just think that there's still a lot of opportunity in terms of, you know, firms that are have other needs that are not necessarily I want to monetize. The market may change timing for individuals who say, I don't have an imminent timing need. So maybe, quote unquote, I hold off. But there's also an element of, are you better holding off versus joining sooner? And, you know, when you touched on, you know, a G2 joining us, somebody joining our firm today and having the opportunity to experience the growth and having equity and, you know, to to benefit today versus three, five years from now, there's a there's a significant opportunity, I suppose, cost loss evaluation that individuals have to do as part of that. Yeah. So just, so it doesn't seem like you guys have been seen any reduction in deal flow or in, you know, interest and in merger interest, let's call it. And yeah, I mean, like many others, maybe there's a little less money up front and more, you know, more opportunity to make it up on the earn out if the market comes back. I'm curious because it's been very interesting. Like what have you seen on valuations specifically? Has it just been the shift in deal structures or are you feeling like valuations are coming 
easing a little bit? I think it depends. I mean, the each individual merger in our example, in our vernacular or yeah. vocabulary, very specific to the business. You yeah. know, so you think about a, a firm that has incredible organic growth in an incredible marketplace has not only G1, G2 in place, but has kind of is already grooming the next generation, has a client base where the average client tenure, you know, is in their 50s versus their 70s. There's, sure. There are so many different components to evaluation and the, and the metrics that are applied. So, you know, we haven't seen anything demonstrably different kind of in the marketplace. We just, we focus on people and then we focus on making sure that if we're coming together, it needs to be very fair and competitive for our uh, soon-to-be new partners. But again, I think they also the approach for you know colleagues who come to join us is they're not looking singularly at one component of the why. It's it's a much more multifaceted, and so making sure and I'd share with anyone who's listening who's considering you know and the. I, I'm considering if I'm in their shoes, you know, a merger or exploring what options look like. Be really clear on your objectives, because when yes. you're really clear on your objectives, there's certainly an economic component. And anybody says otherwise, it's, in my opinion, not being fully truthful about it. But there are many other aspects. And there's also other aspects in terms of second bite at the apple. You know, colleagues who have joined our firm, it hasn't been just a one and done, come join a merger. So we're growing. We've been growing and building incredible value for the next generation of colleagues, also for the partnership at large. And so there's another opportunity to have continued economic success on an annual basis and then also at key pivotal times going forward. And that often comes into play as part of the consideration. And I would assume in your long-term partnership model, even if there was, it was not a huge monetization exit event that when, when partners get to their retirement age and there's some way that they can get to monetize the equity that they have in starting partners upon their. Yeah, with the yeah absolutely. Yeah. You know, in, in the early days of a, a partner had left our firm with clients and colleagues, which is a side note, thankfully did not happen, but it would have had an outsized adverse effect on the firm. So the provisions of our operating agreement in the early days were much more restrictive than they are today. Now we are a scaled firm. We don't have client or colleague concentration. Yep. The provisions of our operating agreement are reflective you know, of that. And you have options for partners to obtain liquidity on an annual basis to the extent that they need it. And certainly once they reach retirement age, which is a sign of we do not have any mandatory retirements, so that's not confused. We do have a definition of retirement, which that definition of retirement, we modified as recently as April of last year at our partner offsite to say, what do we as a partnership believe is fair to, for that definition? And then there are different mechanisms. You know, there, there's an option for partners who are maybe more conservative, say freeze the value and it gets redeemed in a certain manner. And there are other partners who said, I'm bullish on our firm. Even if I retire, I want to be, remain invested. But, you know, you have to balance that with making sure that there's the equities continue to be perpetuated forward to the next generation. And so, you know, that those conversations and the fact that all partners of the firm who were with us at that time had an input into it means that we're all agreeing to those provisions, but relieving no differently than we advise our clients to diversify and to make sure that they've got liquidity. It, it's kind of doing the same thing for ourselves. Love it. And in terms of where most of your partners are coming from, you know, you, we talked about some of the independent RIA, merger deals you've done. Are they also coming from other platforms? Are there ways you do deals on 
in IBD practices or any wirehouse advisors, or is it mainly the independents? Could you give us an idea of who you, you, you all look yeah, we, at? We've, you, we've, we've welcomed colleagues from, I'll say, all walks of life to our firm. Don't have any one, I'll say, concerted efforts. You know, I think whether you're an individual at a large global investment bank or a, a group of individuals of an independent firm, it comes down to objectives. The, the transition sometimes, I think, from a, a global investment firm to the independent RIA, there's, that's, that's a different transition. And there's a lot of education that's part of that. You know, if you've had an independent RIA, pretty easy to understand what an independent RIA is, granted, a, a larger firm that you're merging with. So I think, I think it comes down to individuals having a true sense of their objectives and their why. And I often joke when we, if I ever get the questions of, Hey, what's your, what's your grid? What's your, <laughs> what's your, what's your model? What's your platform? Home office. I'm like, Oh, no, 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 abort mission. That is right, wait, wait. the complete antithesis of, of who, who, who we are. So quickly <laughs> write the ship on those conversations. Love it. Love it. All right. Before I get to my final two questions and we close this out, is there anything else that you, that I haven't covered that you want to mention about Serity Partners, about the industry, about who you're looking to attract any of that? I'll just share that I welcome being a resource for anybody who's listening. I, I feel that, you know, we as an industry, particularly in the wealth management component of the financial services industry, are incredibly collegial. And, you know, there's so much opportunity. I think there's a lot to be learned from idea sharing. I share from my own experience. You know, I've found my forever home. I wake up every day incredibly excited to have the privilege, quite frankly, of working with the colleagues and partners that I work with, of having the role that I have at our firm as a very proud partner of our firm and as the head of partner development. And I'm energized. I'm excited. So if you're, as they're listening and you're like, hey, I don't have that quite that same feeling, maybe one of the things you might want to consider is go find that feeling because life is way too short. We work way too hard and too long to, to not have that feeling each and every day. So it's a privilege for me to, to do that. I just offer that if it's helpful for anybody. So if, if people do want to explore finding that feeling, maybe at possibly at Sarah Partners. <laughs> you know, become a life find... coach next. I'm not quite sure that's the right thing, but. <laughs> how, do they find, how do they find out more about Saturday Partners and those opportunities? Right. Feel free to reach out to me. My contact information is C-O-K-E-E-F-E C -O -K -E -E -F -E at SaturdayPartners.com. Also on our website, feel free to LinkedIn message me, but, but happy to connect. Great. And all that will be in the show notes. Folks, so my final question on the podcast, Claire, is about my highest value in life, my highest ideal, which is freedom. And for me, that means everything from freedom from around the world, from, from people from oppression to why I've been an entrepreneur for decades and haven't had a boss. What does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? Awesome question. I am a very proud Irish woman, having come from Ireland and have a wonderful family and grew up with a lot of love. And so I think I've been blessed from the perspective of security and stability. And I grew up in a country where I had freedom and had freedom to go to school and per pursue whatever passion I, I had, very much supported by my parents. I'll share coming to the U.S. This country is an incredibly special country, and I was proud to become a citizen of the U.S. many years ago. It is the land of opportunity. And so I think, you know, for me, freedom professionally, economically, I've achieved a lot of success in a relatively short period of time. I'm incredibly grateful and humbled by that. There's a lot more that I want to do, but freedom to, you know, be able to give back, freedom to 
give back to communities, organizations that I'm passionate about, time mentoring. They talk about G2, G3. I, I love to teach back to my elementary school teaching roots. But freedom to travel, which I know you and I share, like I want to see every corner of the globe. I talk about travel being my drug of choice. If I've got two days off, I want to go someplace. I just, I love people. I love culture. I love experiencing different vistas. Uh, the world is vast and wide. And so freedom for me is just having the financial freedom to be able to give back and to be able to go travel and explore my passions. Love it. Claire O'Keefe, thanks for being such a great guest on the Deal Quest podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Corey. It's been a privilege. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.